Hi, everybody. Kel Weinhold from The Professor is In. Welcome to the new version of our podcast. We are recording our podcast live on Wednesday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific. Make sure you're subscribed to The Professor is In newsletter to be sure and get that link if you'd like to join us live. Or you can listen to the edited version in the podcast form the following Tuesday. If you'd like to support the live or the podcast, you can head over to bit.ly slash ourpod, B-I-T dot L-Y slash O-U-R-P-O-D and help support these ongoing programs. Thanks a lot. We look forward to hearing from you. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Professor is in podcast recording, which we do in the form of Wednesday Lives, where we get to have live conversation with whoever shows up. (laughs) So welcome, those of you who are here. We're very excited that you're here. And um, if you would like to be a supporting member of our podcast, you can do so for $3.99 a month by going to bit.ly slash our pod. So bit.ly slash O-U-R-P-O-D. And you get access to a special members only page. You get a free pre-recorded webinar worth at least $50 every single month and a permanent 50% discount on all of the uh, webinars offered by the professor is in. Superb. And just to make it easier for you, if those of you who are uh, listening after this recording, if you ever want to jump on the live call, it's bit.ly slash TPII live, the professor is in live. So you can hmm. just click on that and get directly to the webinar link rather than having to go to Facebook or remember the webinar link or whatever. So welcome. So um, today we are, <laughs> we are talking about something that on the surface is going to sound, I don't know, open for a screed, but, but we're not going to do that. So we're going to talk about capitalism in the academy. And before you go to sleep, just take a breath, because what I want to talk about is capitalism, the academy, and its impact on productivity. So that's the line I'm super interested in um, discussing, which I threw at Karen out of nowhere today, so or the other day. So we'll see how that all goes. So here's my thing that started this whole conversation, Karen, and I want to know your take on it. Mm-hmm. Now, I've had time to think about it, so it's a little bit unfair, but I bring it up enough that you've probably thought about it a lot. No, I'm, I'm fixing my hair. Okay. Yeah, I'm listening yes, to you now. I can see. I know the short calls or the, the shortcomings of reco- recording with a camera. Um, <laughs> why do you think that academics have been so successful, so many academics, not everybody, but so many academics have been so successful in persuading themselves that they don't that they're actually not part of capitalism when they're in the academy. So those of you who are watching live, I would love to have your comments as well. I'm really fascinated with this question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we love comments. In fact, that's actually why we do it live Mm -hmm. is to have conversation incorporated into the, into the recording. And by the way, in no way, shape or form, is your identity, are your identities shared in the actual recording? So uh, you can rest assured about that. So I have Facebook open and I can see comments as they come in. Okay. So why though? Why? Why? I've been railing about this. Right. But why do you think? I mean, what what happened? Like when? 
have been railing about this since 1995. Why do academics think that the work we do is somehow should not be sullied by association with capitalistic relations, labor, not calling it labor, not talking about money and compensation, not putting a dollar value on what you do. I just think it's an artifact of history, <laughs> deep history, the medieval foundations, the monastical foundations of, of the PhD dating from the Middle Ages. And somehow, and I don't know, really know how, somehow that has continued forward generation after generation to the idea that, although of course it's not just academia because other fields like social work and so on and religious practices, positions have this as well, but that basically this is a calling and, right. not, and not a job. Right. So I hadn't even thought about it as going back to monastic tradition. I had stopped short in my history of just thinking of my perpetual, you know, landed gentry kind of thing and, <laughs> and really not thinking about it so far back to the sort of higher calling of study for a greater purpose. Mm -hmm. And and we had Fubazi Vitar mm -hmm. on the podcast last year talking about the concept of vocational awe mm -hmm. and how are there these positions um, where you where you're where you see it as a calling rather than a job. And that that how what she talks about is how that can be used to extract unreasonable levels of labor mm -hmm. because you're sort of seen as mm -hmm. petty if you take your vacation or or don't stay for overtime or don't answer the question. So I, I really appreciate that additional layering to that mm -hmm. of well, it being so far back in that tradition. I want to uh, mention, call out uh, Mia Tokumitsu who wrote about this almost a decade ago now. And, um, and then Sarah Jaffe, who we also had on the right. podcast, who wrote Work Won't Love You Back. And so 10 years apart, both of those authors wrote about how basically do what the love discourse says and do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life uh, is a perfect ideological tool of capitalism because it means you're infinitely available for exploitation and you never uh, have a foundation for demanding the value of your labor. Right. And by separating it from the steel workers and the iron workers and those people who have unions and go on strike and so on, tools of capitalism or victims or something. Right. Objects. And yeah, Sarah Ahmed's book, Complaint, also, I, I mean, I haven't read it. I've just been reading all of the things that have come across Twitter about it. And I really am excited about it because mm -hmm. she also talks about um, complaint. In the live feed, I saw of a thing she did recently is looking about. Um, that, that complaint isn't professional in some contexts, right? You mm -hmm. can't complain about all these things because it's quote unquote unprofessional. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's another way that it sort of somehow, I don't, I can't quite say how I think that feeds that, but I think there's something in there of, mm -hmm. of, of class, of vocation, of everything that makes us think, um, makes makes us think that we're separate from the machine mm -hmm. of, of of revenue so mm -hmm. revenue generation yeah profit um, generation profit generation right yeah. and so 
there's a comment here on the feed that I think is just really adds yet another another layer, right? So this is what I've learned from you both already, but me and my friend have been talking about how academics don't have bodies. So it can't be doing labor, so they can't be doing capitalism, which is just is beautifully, um, uh, you know, a different angle on the life of the mind, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You're just, you're, yeah. And, and how, the, how the academy is, is, is just, what's the right word? Um, it, it, it's appalled by bodies. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't really want your, your, your bodies, your, your illnesses, your mental health things, your pregnancies, pregnancies. your, your body. We're actually just interested in what your mind produces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the mind body <laughs> dichotomy for sure. I mean, we really, I, we really could have pointed to that. I suppose, you know, I think we have historians on here are like, Oh, good God, Karen did not just go back to the middle ages. You know, I mean, and this is all, I mean, it is, it's all very, it's all, it's all very impressionistic and we, but we certainly could have gone to modernity and the mind body dichotomy and the things that are of the mind are better than the things of the body. We could look at Christianity, the things of the soul are superior to the things of the body. The body is degraded. I mean, this is now going back, you know, 2000 years or a thousand years before the middle ages, but you know, the body is degraded and um, dishonorable and is only what those other people have to deal with. And the rest of us, you know, are above that. So, I mean, there are so many angles on this and it's tragic, but you know, to bring it up to the present day, it's tragic. Its impacts are tragic. So, so here's the thing that I was thinking about it, which thank you everybody for much more nuance to it is the, the fact that the university doesn't um, track onto um, track onto the classic me, you know path of production, right? So normally you get hired by a company, you do something that produces something that mm-hmm. generates revenue mm-hmm. for that institution. Mm-hmm. Now, right, you can almost see that path in a teaching institution, mm-hmm. right? We're going to hire you. You're going to teach. That's your work product. And we're going to make money off those students who come to be taught. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's kind of, to me, there's a pretty direct line there. But, but I think the line gets really wonky when you, when you're, when research is the thing that you are the most measured by. And the first thing that the thing that you're measured by is not the thing that you, that makes the money. Right. You're mm-hmm. not going to get a journal mm-hmm. article and the university is going to go, we just got some new money. Right. Right. And, you know, what's funny is when you see professors on on uh, popular TV, you know, it's usually like I got on the cover of anthropology today. It's like, <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. That's not how our status is negotiated. Right, right. You know, it's not a corporate thing. But anyway. Yeah. So so here you are. This thing that you that you are held in the highest esteem for is not the thing that actually brings the revenue. Mm-hmm. So I can see really easily how you can say I'm not part of that. I'm I over here too. studying that thing. And right? it's wild because it extends also to um, even the people who are career counselors who work in the careers office or the advising office also think that they work for free, that they are somehow purer and more fine 
that so in other words there's a person who's current well this is a long-standing I mean, this is not just one person this is a whole genre of writing but there's one person right now who has gotten some kind of gig with the chronicle to write about quote-unquote coaching that she does in her uh formal position at duke university being hired to do career coaching for phds and so on and she is bound and determined to write a series of essays for the chronicle about why her coaching is good and companies that offer or individuals who offer coaching for pay are bad and that one should use the first and not use the second and every single essay she writes is uh, basically trying to get people to not pay for coaching because the coaching and of course disregarding the fact that literally as far as i'm aware and it is my business to know this and track this she is literally the only career coach formally employed by any university in america right now there are that, career advisors that we, of, that we know of yeah that we know of. there are advisors of course there are they that they have those offices but she literally does coaching and mm -hmm. I don't know of any other person who does that, but yet, you know, so there is this constant argument that this purity argument that 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 because the money is run through a university budget and allotted laundered. what it's laundered, it's, it's laundered money. and it's allotted by an, an administration and then it is deposited into your bank account. That that is in some ways you are purified by that. Hmm. You didn't actually get your hands dirty. You don't have grubby little fingers, you know, handling dollar bills or something. Honestly, I mean, I don't. I try to represent it, but I'm not great at it. I do want to point out that um, we have two comments on Facebook. The first one is after two years in lockdown, this body is definitely degraded. <laughs> right. Back to the body. Yeah, back to the back to the getting to you know the the portion when the body became degraded than the life yes. of the mind. Yes, and uh, which is and then uh, which is why I love when Chicana theorists sneak discussions of orgasms into their scholarship. Yep, which right. is related to you know getting the body back into our discussion. And before I forget, we don't have to do it right now, but we just uh, came across um, an article published uh, today. And I'm going to have to actually remind myself of both the author's name and the online journal that it was published in, basically about bringing the bodily pleasures back into academia in the form of makeup and cute clothes. And that was the point of, of this particular piece, which I'm currently loving. Right. Not to say that makeup it. and cute clothes are, you know, like the not, not in a facile way saying we're going to challenge capitalism. <laughs> No, we're like not the perfect saying that. lipstick. Yeah, like no, we're not. We're, we're we're this is a you know multiple kinds of interventions that you know if you buy great makeup to challenge the denial of the body in academia, are you reinforcing capitalistic relations? Yes, of course you are. You know. Yes, and when I started off this conversation today, I was going in an entirely different direction, <laughs> and I think that this is absolutely awesome, and I think it will add more. I think it will add more complexity to the question that I'm asking okay, or the thing that I've observed. So in my work as one of those money grubbing coaches, I run across hashtag money grubbing coaches, hashtag money grubbing coach <laughs> that, that what I find is that. So, so what I got to thinking about is when does the moment of constriction start in publication, right? Mm -hmm. What, what, when you're working along, people will come to a point of constriction and they stop. 
And why is it that they stop? What happens? So now bracket all the capitalist gaze for just a minute. Why are you looking at me like you're confused? Well, because you lost me, but and also I want I, to interject. I have to get there since, since I'm the uh, I'm the monitor of Facebook comments. Yes, I want to tell you what people are saying. Okay, <laughs> I think a new thing is doing virtual campus interviews, and then if you get offered a job, you have to negotiate for the university to pay for you to visit campus before you decide. Otherwise, on your own dime, for the privilege of getting a hard sought tenure track position, mm-hmm. that's certainly a new wrinkle in the academia it's, it's money late capitalism let's see how much labor we can extract yeah. for the least less money yeah and then someone else said we should be able to express ourselves and if cute clothes and makeup help me do that then geez why not Indeed. exactly yeah. exactly hmm. hang on with me just one minute guys i'm gonna make a turn here and we can just cut it all out later and do another t- 15 minutes on just capitalism exploitation systems of oppression i wasn't really headed there today i was just trying to set up this idea mm-hmm. of capitalism and how we keep ourselves separate from it. Right. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to make a hard left turn and I want you to hang on with me. I'm going to get there. I like to pull multiple threads together. So I need to step out and make a thread. Right. One of the threads that I've been considering lately is the male gaze. I have been out for 40 years or more. I 42 years. I am absolutely unaware of the male gaze. I, it is so far out of my concept of w- the way I operate in the world that sometimes I am in a position that when I hear women who are concerned with it speak to it, I actually quite don't for a minute know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of so far away, mm-hmm. but there is a time that I am always aware of the male gaze and that's in terms of my safety. Mm-hmm. But I am immediately aware of it when I feel like I might be in a position to be unsafe. So it's in terms of how I move, how I operate, what I dress, what I do, it's, it's gone. And, but it's not gone. Okay. So now take that for a minute and airlift that over here. And let's think about the university and capitalism. And let's change it to the capitalist gaze. Mm. And think about how we've made being in the academy an exercise of pushing away and, and being indifferent to the capitalist gaze. We've oh, had this, we've yeah, had that this, works. Right? I see where we've, you're going we've with that. We've been in here and we've said, mm-hmm. we're going to use the, we're going to go ahead and use vocational awe. We're going to mm-hmm. go ahead and use higher purpose, life of the mind. All mm-hmm. of it is a way to build, build a shelter around ourselves from the capitalist gaze. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, at some point we are required, if we are working, producing product, we, there is a moment in which we must engage with that gaze. So you can work along on your article and at some point you're going to think about its publication. It's going to become a work product. Yeah. Right? You're going to think about your lectures and they're going to become a product. Mm-hmm. It's a thing that you produce for, we like to think just observation, but mm-hmm. it's to keep your job. So it's not extracted mm-hmm. from capitalism. Mm-hmm. So I'm really interested in the moment in which people allow the capitalist gaze, when the capitalist gaze hits their work, Mm -hmm. I'm making the argument that that's where I see people constrict, that that's the minute that they, the capitalist gaze becomes a threat and they close down. (laughs) (laughs) 
I just didn't. Never was more said with a. <laughs> I think I lost you. <laughs> well, you did. And the place you did was because was when you said that. Well, someone, I just want to point out in the chat is saying, yes, that is the minute of shutting down for me. So you, you didn't lose everybody. But when you said that the minute you produced something, so you've produced an article or a book or, or a teaching outcome that that becomes embedded in, in capitalist, the capitalist gaze. And I guess I don't actually think that that's true. I mean, in other words, I don't think that people think that that is the case. I don't think no, that don't they think experience they those as- no. I mean, they, they, because it's, it's that, it's that academic status negotiation where you don't, so in other words, you don't get any more money, let's just put it really simplistic terms from publishing an American anthropologist, which is the leading journal and publishing in some low ranking journal. There's no money attached to that because you don't get money, money, no matter where you publish. You don't get money for publishing. Yeah, yeah but I think that's where the fuzzy. But you get you get intangible capital. Of course, you get capital. Right. But I also think that's where the, where the where there's a lot of fuzziness, because, in fact, I think there's a lot of people running around trying to get into the top anthropology journals so they can, in fact, move to a higher level university. Mm -hmm. And it is economics. There's a lot of economics in it. There's mm -hmm. that, that go but, with. Yeah, the I guess I'm just I, I, I was going to draw a distinction between economics and capitalism there, because, yeah, there's economic impact. Absolutely. In right. terms of your ability to command a higher salary and all that. But I I wasn't quite. Well, so what I'm particularly interested about it, and maybe I need to explain it a little bit more clearly, is I'm not interested in the, that academics say, oh my gosh, now I'm engaged with the capitalist gaze, right? Now I'm engaged with capitalism. What I'm curious about is if academics think about the points of constriction in their writing, they're going along, right? Mm -hmm. They're just kind of doing it. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, something comes in, some fear creeps in, some stopping point. It's like, mm -hmm. and I'm going to argue that I think mm -hmm. that happens when people turn them their attention to the final product. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can have product outside mm -hmm. of capitalism. Okay. That I don't think even if your journal article doesn't get you a thousand dollars in your pocket, mm -hmm. it's got social capital, but it also has it, it gives you more earning power, could mm -hmm. give you more earning power, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about is where, because I was talking to somebody who's in STEM and, and she was saying, my, I am engaged with the product. The minute I start to imagine the, the research, I'm already thinking about where is it going to go and who's going to like it. And, and she said, and that definitely has a, a, a chilling effect. Mm-hmm. So if we go back to the, when I've talked about this on the podcast before, and I certainly talk about it in coaching mm -hmm. is there's four stages of, of creation, like making something, right? Mm -hmm. It's ideation, conceptualization, production, and celebration. Mm -hmm. I think that production comes in earlier than it should, because we don't, we can't stay in, ide we feel like we can't stay in ideation and conceptualization, which is outside of it becoming a product. Mm -hmm. You can stay in ideation your whole life if you want to, mm -hmm. you just come up with ideas. Mm -hmm. It's only 
the need to keep a job within the capitalist system that makes your ideas have to be conceptualized and put into a product. Mm -hmm. I think it's, first of all, we have some interesting comments in the uh, Zoom uh, chat box. And also I think it's interesting because you could also look at that as pointing to the neoliberalization of academia. And especially when you look at the careers of of all those earlier folks, and you kind of look at some of the stars, you know, of our of our disciplines, and they published like, um, you know, they published like one book in a thirty year career, right? But it was a really good book, right. or it wasn't, right. <laughs> whatever. And that, and now we're in this like this incredible assembly line, right? Hyper speeded up cycle of of production, 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 production. Someone once when I gave a talk um, said uh, something about, I, they had a phrase for it, I can't remember, but it was kind of like the deli counter version of uh, right. model of, whereas you just slice your research into ever thinner and thinner and thinner slices mm -hmm. so as to maximize the number of, of products that you can right. get out of it. Right. Right. So yeah, absolutely. I 100% see what you're saying. You can see the chat box comments, yeah? Yeah. So one of the comments is, I feel like that comes up for me at the point of me knowing what I'm producing is quote important, but that not being enough for the capitalist gaze. And then I fight myself over how it should be, shouldn't be like that. And then I get distracted and my writing declines. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. You know, you're going along in your sense of, of not having yet been your, you know, the colonized mind in terms of this has to become something. And then mm -hmm. when you turn to make that become something, I think the more, you're kind of struggling with the whole hierarchical capitalist structure of the academy, that that's where that constriction can happen. And so I'm mm -hmm. super fascinated by that. Mm -hmm. There's another comment that's, I feel constricted in some cases, for example, publishing in a paper, but not in others, like writing a grant. The range of scrutiny is definitely important too. Mm -hmm. So thinking about when do you think about the eyes on your, your project? Mm -hmm. And I'm making the argument that the eyes on the project are the capitalist gaze. Mm -hmm. You could make any number of arguments about what that gaze is, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. this is just the wanderings of my mind. Yeah. But on uh, Facebook, we have some really interesting comments. Um, someone said, I find the pressure to produce diminishes my intellectual stimulation and joy. Right. And I think that's just, I mean, I think fundamentally that's the, that's the big complaint. That you're, I, I mean, this is such a huge topic. I mean, even right. in STEM, well, let's just take STEM fields, for example. Experiments that fail are critical. They're essential. Right. Experiments not have anymore. to fail in order for you to learn what doesn't work so that you can get more and more clear on what does. But the, but the funding model and the granting model and the tenure model and promotion and everything doesn't allow for failure anymore. And so there is no way to do the work because there's no space for failure. Right. Um, and there's also, and somebody comments on this um, on the Facebook page. I don't know if you can see it, com the comment regarding colonization. Mm -hmm. Regarding colonization, the bell curve shape Gaussian function also promotes the false notion of cognitive normativity or universality, uh, quote, which then established Eurocentric knowledge, pedagogy, experience, culture, and language as the norm for education and in particular higher education. Uh, citation is Marie Batiste. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, in my, in my anti-capitalism rant, which I, I have yet to be able to separate white supremacy and capitalism in any of my, I don't think it's possible. 
in the coaching that I do, I talk to people a lot about this demand for a trajectory mm-hmm. is, a, is, a colonize, is a colonizer idea. Mm-hmm. That you're not allowed to just find your work and just chill in it, right? Mm-hmm. Stay right here, produce the stuff you produce mm-hmm. and, and be okay about it. You've got mm-hmm. to go to the highest journal. You've got to go to the next mm-hmm. thing. Your work has to have a, have a trajectory of you're going to go from assistant to associate to full to emeritus yeah. to whatever. Mm-hmm. And that whole model is in this idea of ever pushing forward. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, that's the same gaze I'm talking about is this, mm-hmm. it's where. It, yeah. yeah. Hierarchy and competition and individual individualism being central components of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. I don't have a citation for that, although I know there is a person who said that I can't remember who it is. Um, I, I want to point something out because otherwise the, comment that I quoted about colonization and the bell curve was actually building on a previous comment that said the bell curve grade distribution system also maintains academic capitalism. And I think that that, so going into our, what we do in the classroom and how we evaluate students. So it's not just like us writing journal articles and submitting them and trying to get them into the top journal. It's, it's the whole evaluation system as well. Which sort of leads to a previous comment that I think you know, adds like enriches it again, which is this, as we discuss capitalism, exploitation and systems of oppression with that in academia, I'm reminded of people who thrive and perpetuate toxic cultures and power dynamics in the mm-hmm. workplace. Mm-hmm. And the question is, can you reflect on times where narcissists, antagonistic and entitled individuals have undermined collective efforts of cultural humility, res- res- reciprocal accountability and shared responsibility in academia. And so I think that it's the same thing, right? You're trying to you're trying to stay in this, in this open and, and engaged and thoughtful space with your work and with your community. And at some point there's a turn that forces you into individualism, which forces you into the article. And I just think, I mean, I would just really encourage people to think about noticing it mm-hmm. and where that happens for you. And does it affect your ability to comfortably move forward with your work? Mm-hmm. I also make the argument to get your elbows out and protect your your um, your ideation as long as you can, your conceptualization mm-hmm. as long as it doesn't become. And what's the shape of this book? It's like, oh, just like elbows out mm-hmm. to try to get more space for that. Mm-hmm. Although, OK, so like doing that thing that I do now, having thought about the graduates to the PhD students I've trained. It's also, I mean, well, so like it's a mixed bag. I mean, so it is discipline, discipline. You know, we work in disciplines. We have models and frameworks and disciplines and grad students come in and they have great ideas, but they have no idea how to convert those ideas into, into products, which I mean, which would be their dissertation, you know, or their term paper. And I'm just going to complicate that and say they have did not yet had the training to fit into a very narrow understanding about how an idea must be expressed. Mm -hmm. So in fact, it's that turn to, I have all these ideas. I'm really interested in these topics. That's all well and good. Could you please put it in an introduction methods, results, discussion, and conclusion, please. Mm -hmm. And we don't say, how can we, you know, what are the marvelous ways that we can look at this? And I feel like Mm -hmm. if we could take more space going, wow, we could do it this way. And then we could do it this way that we might be more able to then turn around and say, I'll do it your way. So we can move across that hurdle, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to 
because I feel like sometimes you come into graduate school and your first day is like, what's my dissertation going to be? And it's like, <laughs> you're already in product before you've done the ideation and conceptualization. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. I mean, part of it is, I mean, is for me, I'm super product oriented, right? you know, and actually thinking about products helps me think. Mm -hmm. So if I think about, I want an article to look like this, I want a book to look like this. And then it's the structure kind of helps me to, um, insert, like find, you know, a, a structure for, to insert my content into, but I, but I know that that isn't effective necessarily, even for me and certainly not for everybody. I do want to share a quote or a, a, a comment from the Facebook page that says, I think about that gaze when I pursue post-structuralist feminist BIPOC and mixed race frameworks, knowing they will never be legitimized in revered journals. And this comment just put my mind. I mean, the minute I read it, I said, I saw the word legitimized and I thought, look at what's happening right now with Judge Katanji Brown Jackson with the Supreme Court. Right. And what like she this. does, not being, uh, being, being absolutely systematically torn down right. by inferior, mediocre, threatened white men. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing to think about where the again, where does this this and you know, it's a colonizer mentality. When does it come in and say this is how this must go? Yeah. Which which sort of we can we can kind of wrap up because we're a little bit long with this with the last comment, which is the grade distribution system also disallows indigenous intellectual self-determination, undrip, UNDRIP in that my own process of evaluation isn't considered valid because it's not normative or Eurocentric. And, mm -hmm. and, and I'm just gonna make the stand I'm gonna make, I hope until I just keel over, we will not have a diverse university until mm -hmm. we allow diverse expressions of intellectual knowledge, mm -hmm. until we understand that there are multiple ways to examine a piece of quote unquote evidence and we allow for tenure that does not just, I have to be in these 10 journals or we're not going to keep you, that it's all just lip service. Then it's like, come on, we want you. We want you for your skin color. We want you for your gender. We want you for these things, but we want you to act just like us, write like us and talk like us. And mm -hmm. that to my mind and is- not make us scared or threatened in any way, shape or form. And, and I want you to turn and face this gaze and, and make yourself pretty for this gaze. And the gaze is, to my argument, capitalism, mm -hmm. white supremacy and capitalism intertwined. Yep. Amen. I hear that. What do you guys think? Yes. We like to hear from you. There are lots of people agreeing with my comment. That makes sense. Oh, I know, honey. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I do believe that this is the first time I've been honeyed on the podcast. So there we go. <laughs> I'm going to gather my thoughts for the next time for a follow-up. You are, are you reading that? Or are you saying I'm going to gather my thoughts? No, I'm saying I'm going to gather my thoughts for a follow-up because I still have some niggling things about, about, I mean, I'm not fundamentally, of course, it's absolutely fundamentally a capitalist system that is and neoliberalism has fetishized the, the production of the commodity and so on. And I totally agree about that. But I feel like right in the middle point where you, the point you were making, I had some niggling disputes about that. On yeah. job talks, I need to present my research, which is on the coloniality of the academy through indigenous Anishinaabe. Anishinaabe 
Anishinaabe uh, theory and praxis. I usually don't get the job, LOL. <laughs> yeah, so, you that's know, an we... interesting point. You sh um, I'd love to talk to you more, by the way, you who made that comment and, and think about think about how, how one might thread the needle to do what you do, get through and to get the job offer. Because one of the things that we know that we do when we prep people for job job talks and for um, interviews is that we're basically saying this is the way that you can communicate with this this system this this Eurocentric white male system. These are the the ways in which they will be able to hear you. But mm -hmm. I think that one of the comments in the Facebook page really speaks to the tension that we ex we have all the time, which is is that just sneaking in? Mm -hmm. And what do you do about? And if you are going to quote unquote use, you know, get it. Oh, like, I know I need to talk to you to get in here. Mm -hmm. Then how do you successfully stay in there without mm -hmm. losing your soul? Mm -hmm. Or is there a way to get in and not lose that? And I would love to talk to folks who are trying to, to navigate that, that line, because I feel like we definitely fall into the, let me show you how to say this. So you'll get the job. Mm -hmm. And it's a big tension point because we're really interested in helping people who've been minoritized get jobs, right? But we also are not interested in the harms of souls, mm -hmm. <laughs> the harming of souls by doing mm -hmm. that. So with mm -hmm. the, any, uh, we love we love feedback in that realm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for try sure. to contend with what we do and how we can always do it better. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then there's another comment and then how to get in and not run yourself down by feeling you have to fight everyone all the time. I mean, there's a, there's a cost to the system. There is a cost. One of the things that I rest in is the idea that if we can help people get in, they are people are certainly qualified to determine whether they can stay in right. once they discover what the context is that they've landed in, you right. know, and whether there's any space for maneuvering and moving or you know, strategic alliances or resistance. There's a, there, there are many options at that point, but none of those options exist until you actually get in. So it's kind of like, I want to do this thing. And then. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, that, I think that's the argument that we've made. What I'm, what I'm really interested in is, um, is there a way, can we sit down with, with thinkers who who are completely outside of what, you know, colonized mm -hmm. mind approach that we're taking, mm -hmm. who could say, no, this is where you're doing X. And can we find a way to, to do that navigation? And I'm going to come back to the point I started this off with within a capitalist system, mm -hmm. but knowing that it's that, what, what is the way to do this, to do what you want to do and get where you want to get? Whole, keeping your personal integrity, right? It's just really, it's a really, really, really complicated question. And I feel like we're just, we're constantly looking at it, but I've just mm -hmm. been doing so much reading from indigenous scholars recently mm -hmm. that I'm kind of in this, a little bit of a free fall about, wait a minute, <laughs> I don't know. What you're supposed to do is just like, find your place and be there. You know, so what can we do? So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really, I'm really interested in talking to, mm -hmm. to people who see things that I just can't see right. and, and, and I'm continuing to read and educate myself. Mm -hmm.
quite absolutely a uh, couple really great comments valuable comments this job search year has been interesting with the push for dei and being a diversity candidate boy you sure do get some mixed messages yeah i can only right. imagine and someone um the next comment uh i lost tenure when pointing out systemic racism so it is very real it was something as simple as making sure that we need an equitable season selection seasons equitable season selection i'm not sure um in theater right. i'm not quite sure what equitable season selection in theater means well if you're gonna if you're gonna pick the run for the season the films mm -hmm. the or not the film sorry that this the scripts that you're going to do the for script. a season there has to be an equitable way to choose them or we'll just keep oh i see death of a oh, yeah no yeah right? that makes sense yeah everybody will keep going back to the canon and say let's do shakespeare mm -hmm. death of a salesman right right <laughs> yeah. so um by the way just on that note the um the oregon shakespeare festival shakespearean festival in ashland oregon has been doing absolutely transformative work in theater for the last four to five years um they have they are flipping things on its head and even in the productions of shakespeare there are four things i have that i want us to go see this year that are just a whole different approach mm -hmm. to theater after years and years and years of of not doing that and it's just mm -hmm. really phenomenal to see so if you want to take a trip to oregon and go to an amazing theater mm -hmm. osf is it mm -hmm. So without shout out to Southern Oregon, shall we say goodbye? Yes. Thank you, everybody. This was fun. I really appreciate all your comments. It was a really interesting conversation. And you I gave us a lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And we will see you next week, I guess. We're traveling. So, but we'll see how it all works out. All right. Thanks mm -hmm. a lot. Bye. Bye.